Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Thursday. It is January 10th. We're talking Green Bay Packer, Dallas Cowboys, importance rankings. Who are the most important Packers to get the pa- get Green Bay into the second round of the playoffs? We're also going to talk about what's wrong with Marquette. Apparently, I am not going to have any fun this basketball season. And then lastly, we will talk about Nick Saban retiring and if that loses luster of the Alabama-Wisconsin game that's set for this September. We're also going to weave in some coaching stuff in the NFL uh, after we do the importance rankings. So yeah, there is a lot to cover. No bucks today. We're going to be recapping Bucks Celtics right after the game. Mitch and I will get on the sticks and talk through whatever the hell happens tonight. Um, I think you could tell me it's going to be an absolute massacre. I think you could tell me the Bucks are going to win outright. I think you could tell me it's going to be a close loss where it feels like a somewhat moral victory. Um, I really do not know what to expect. I have no idea what we're getting into here. Like I said... I have been in absolute funk with basketball, um, basically to sacrifice Green Bay being good. I took away both my basketball teams. So there you go. Um, I hope hope you're happy. I know my friends who are Badger fans are having fun. So that's also, that adds to it even more. Um, so they, the only way I can be happy, I guess, is just have one team be good at, the, good at a time. So that sucks. Uh, but before we get going, just a reminder, social media, type in the keg on X. I'm getting better at it. Tapping the Keg Sports on Instagram, TikTok, as well as Facebook. Shout out to all of you that are following on X. We're over a thousand. I hit the thousand club yesterday. Uh, my guy, uh, Bookmarker Love, aka Jordan, Jordan Loves Bookmarks, a guy who's been keeping bookmarks of nasty Jordan Love tweets for, I think, like two or three years, uh, gave me a shot. He, well, he bumped an old post that I did. And then he well, it was from 2021, where I actually still wrote. I didn't realize I was still writing in 2021, which is wild. But then uh, I resurfaced it, said, hey, thanks, yada, yada. He was right all along. And then he shouted me out, and a lot of people followed. He's grown his account. He's at like 2,500. And so obviously a respectable voice in the uh, Packer Twitter community and uh, a lot of people follow along. So I hope you're listening. Uh, If you are new from that, that's great. Um, I might have to get him on the pod. Like I was thinking about that, win or lose. We might have to have him on the pod next week to just kind of talk about like the, the account, like how, how much time he spends into it, like why he decided to start it. Like I, I think it would be a fascinating thing just given the recent success of Jordan Love. And again, good versus bad. So I'm not sure if he is a listener. I just never know who listens every day. I don't know who listens once a week. Um, but if he doesn't listen, maybe I'll shoot him a DM this week and we'll try to get him on the pod uh, this coming, this next week. This next week. Uh, so stay tuned there. All right. Um, also, if you are new, um, we're doing this four days a week. Uh, we have a, I do solo three days a week. And then I do one podcast with my guy, Mitch, uh, who you'll meet. We've done 536 episodes together. Our, and so we'll be on 537 tonight. Or, uh, yeah, tonight. And then we'll get it up for Friday. 
and we talk about evergreen stuff. Sometimes we react live when the schedules allow for it. And yeah, that's uh, that's what we do on one of our podcasts uh, throughout the week. So hopefully you're enjoying us, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. We are there for you. If we're not, drop me a DM. I can certainly make sure that we get an RSS feed to your podcast host of choice. All right, I've wasted enough time. Let's dive in to the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys and importance rankings. So importance rankings is something I started, gosh, I don't know, a couple years ago where I thought like the best way to kind of talk about a game was to look at who would be the most important players and who are the guys that matter the most and who are the ones that if you think about it on Sunday night and the Packers have won, these guys mattered the most. And I think for me, um, number one is Jordan Love. And I know that's cliche. You're like, of course, just like the quarterback. I will tell you that it's not always the quarterback. But this is Jordan Love's first playoff game. This is Jordan Love in AT&T Stadium, which is a massive stadium. Now, granted, the Packers have done very well there. They're 5-0 and uh, for their franchise career. But it's an entirely new world for Jordan Love. And what kind of what mindset is Jordan Love going to be in? Is he going to be the calm, cool, collected guy that we've seen the last few weeks? Is he going to be the guy we saw in October? What version of Jordan Love are we going to get? And I think it's unfair for you to expect him to go out and drop his dick on the table. Like I just think that is entirely unrealistic. I don't think you should expect that out of any first-time starter. I, it's hard. The playoffs are just a different beast. We talk about it in every other sport, and it's rare that you can sort of go through the playoffs unscathed, and all of a sudden, you are just suddenly him, as the kids would like to say. Joe Burrow did do it, right? Um, he now he lost in the Super Bowl, but Joe Burrow got there, you know, first try, and Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow did have the experience of the national championship and the semifinal where LSU ran Ramshot, but I, I that's the only one I can think of of recent memory where well Nick Foles like I mean but those guys have been in for a while like Jordan Love's a young quarterback Jordan Love is still sort of not, he's you know experienced playoff games sitting on the bench with Aaron Rodgers but that's it and it's totally different at, on the game speed. And that it's a very fast turf in Dallas. I just wonder what his mindset's gonna be. I think we'll know right away, right? If Jordan Love, you know, is making, you know, the smart passes and he's moving the ball down the field, maybe it's Green Bay's not scoring or they're getting field goals, but they're still like moving the ball down the field, then we know it's okay. If he's really struggling and he seems nervous and balls are getting overthrown, maybe an interception early then we're gonna know that there's a little bit of nerves and that he needs to calm himself down. I think Jordan Love protecting the football is crucial. Um, the interceptions could be where this thing goes sideways. Dallas wants to pick balls off. Deron Bland has, I think, six pick sixes this season. Jordan Love's gonna have to be cognizant of that. And with his gun, gunslinger mentality, that is where it can get him into trouble. And that is a big time concern for me in this game where if I could see a Cowboys blowout, which I, I do think is unlikely, but if it would happen, it's because Jordan Love is throwing pick six and the wheels kind of come off the Green Bay Packers a little bit, being a young team and all of a sudden you get punched in the mouth 
and they have no no way to respond and they can't really come back. Now, granted, Green Bay has you know made some admirable comebacks this season when they've been trailing, one resulting in a win in New, against New Orleans. But it's, again, it's a different beast with it being in the playoffs. So Jordan Love is the number one on the list. Number two is Jair Alexander. I do not know if Jair Alexander is going to shadow CeeDee Lamb, but I, I hope he does. Um, this would be such a full circle moment for Jair if he puts CeeDee Lamb in clamps because CeeDee Lamb has been argue, probably the best receiver uh, in football this season. Um, he has the quote-unquote belt, as Bill Simmons always likes to talk about. Uh, and if Jair Alexander can hold down CeeDee Lamb, you know, I, I don't think you can expect CeeDee Lamb to go zero for zero, right? He's going to get a couple catches. But if you take the explosives away from CeeDee Lamb and you tackle CeeDee Lamb, I think that's the other thing with Jair. Jair has had issues in terms of tackling. He was a little better uh, in the game against Chicago, but you have to bring CeeDee Lamb down. You got to bring him down because if you don't bring him down, he gets a full head of steam, he might be gone. And you got to make sure that you're hitting him on that first contact. And they did not do well against CeeDee Lamb uh, two years ago or last year. So you hope that Joe Barry's scheme is a little bit different for CeeDee Lamb. And whether that's bracketed coverage, whether you say, all right, we're going to let CeeDee Lamb beat us or not, not we're not going to let CeeDee Lamb beat us and we're going to let everybody else beat us. I, however they want to cut it, they're going to need that from Jair Alexander. And I think Jair Alexander is going to need to play one of his best games of the season. It's been a rocky year, but guess what? If Jair steps up in the moment, keeps CeeDee Lamb at bay, all is forgiven. No one's going to wor worry or wonder about Jair Alexander. Everybody is going to be all in. Number three is Rasheed Walker. Uh, Rasheed Walker has the task of taking on Micah Parsons. Rasheed Walker has been pretty damn good uh, the last few weeks. I, I don't think it's been talked about enough that Rasheed Walker is really playing well. Um, I was highly critical of Rasheed Walker earlier this year and thought that they should go with Josh Nyman. Um, I was wrong. Uh, the Packers know more than me. That's not a surprise. But this is arguably his toughest test of the year with Micah Parsons. Uh, Michael Parsons is as good as it comes as an edge rusher. Uh, the Packers had a great scheme against Michael Parsons last time around. He was absolutely silent uh, when the Packers and Cowboys played. Uh, there was a really good thing that Josh Norris of Underdog Fantasy pointed out uh, in, La I think it's like called QB School or something. Not QB School because that's JTO Sullivan. But he's doing like film breakdown to Colt McCoy. And Colt McCoy breaks down how Matt LaFleur's coverage basically protects uh, Jordan Love with Aiden Hutchinson. And he's doing lion's tape and showing the tight ends, you know, taking care of business against Adrian Hutchinson. And I just wonder, will that be the same on the left side, on the blind side? How do you keep Parsons from not wrecking this game? And that is on Rasheed Walker. And I think Rasheed Walker can do that. I think that it, it's not going to be easy. I do also wonder, this is a sneaky thing, at, which I just realized, and this happens when you do podcasts and you, you have these lightning bolts. Rasheed Walker and Micah Parsons played together. Rasheed Walker has went up and practiced against Micah Parsons. Rasheed Walker likely knows every one of Micah Parsons' moves. Now, granted, Micah Parsons has probably you know added to his bag of tricks right since college, but Rasheed Walker knows Micah Parsons maybe better than most offensive tackles. That's a huge asset for the Packers. That can really help. And that also really helps on the field. 
So it would not surprise me if Micah Parsons is held silent again. And it's because of the Rishi Walker's way he's playing and also just the fact that he has familiarity with Parsons. Um, I, I've not heard that talked about very much at all. And I feel like that should be a bigger deal, right? I, that's crazy that it's not being brought up at all because those that shit matters. I think seeing what you what you see on you know the one on ones, the practice field, even in game tape, like I, I think it's all important. So I, I kind of like Rasheed Walker in that matchup, as crazy as it sounds. Number four is Joe Barry, our guy Joe Barry. Joe Barry, it, you know the scheme has to be what we saw the last two weeks. I am dubious that the Packers are going to be able to stop the Cowboys. I've said, you know, in, in various platforms, I first to 35, first to 38, I, I think it's going to come down to the wire. I think it's going to be a lot like that Arizona game in 2009, um, which was yesterday. And I, I'm, I'm not going to dovetail into the story I told on X. Um, I just don't have time today. But Joe Barry has to be good. And Joe Barry has to do the things that he's done against good quarterbacks, right? Um he held down Mahomes for the most part um, before, you know, that final couple drives. Uh, he did well against Jared Goff. I, I would consider Jared Goff a good quarterback this year. Justin Herbert did have 280 yards, but he passed the ball a lot in that game. And the bigger issue with Justin Herbert in that football game was the fact he ran for 73 yards. Um, I do think you're going to need to do some sort of Quay Walker spy on Dak to not let Dak bail himself out. But Joe Barry's defense works against the league quarterbacks. It has worked in the past. It The sort of preventing the big play is a huge part of what Dallas does. Dallas is not a team that grinds you out. They are full of explosives. And I think the Packers can at least stop some of those explosives with what Joe Barry has integrated in the last two weeks and what he's done all season. Remember, they were pretty good against Dak last year. Now, Dak to me was you know a different quarterback um and i i do think that it's you know it, it, he can look entirely different but i'm putting dak prescott at number five because here's the thing about dak prescott and I, I know you're like well charlie this is a packer segment like why is he important to a packer victory dak prescott and I, i'm not saying betting is everything right but he's one five against the spread in the playoffs dak prescott has a pretty dubious playoff career it has not been good for Dak Prescott and that has been some of the frustration slash issues with Prescott in the offseason is he's just not a guy he's not a, a postseason quarterback he's just a regular season quarterback and to me that's going to be a huge part of if the Packers win this game because if the Dak Prescott steps up that has been borderline MVP level then that Packers are probably going to lose the game, like just honestly, um, because that they they haven't necessarily seen a quarterback at. Well, I, I shouldn't say that because of Mahomes and Herbert, but the, he has had a really fucking good year. And I'd argue, I'd go to this far, talent wise, yes, they've seen the talent of Dak Prescott, but from a overall year, I don't think they've seen a quarterback that's had a good as good of a year as Dak Pre, Dak Prescott. So for for what it's worth. He is not, he has a 92.3% passer rating 
in the playoffs. His touchdown to interception ratio is 11 and 5. His completion percentage averages out to 63%, which is not, not terrible, not great. 7.2 on average. Um, he's got sacked 11 times. His QBR has never been higher than 100. He had the start against the Niners, the one start that was abysmal. Um, so it, it has definitely been a, you know, there's a lot of pressure on Dak. And he knows the pressure of the Dallas Cowboys. And if they can fluster, they being the Packers, can fluster Dak early, I I just wonder, is, is he going to start seeing demons? Is he going to start seeing ghosts? And... I think, you know, and we'll talk kind of more in detail of like what has to happen for the Packers win, Packers lose tomorrow's show, but I'll give you a spoiler. I really believe they need to start fast. I think you need to start fast because if you start fast, everybody gets nervous. It's all all they're going to say is here we go again. If the Packers get up 10 nothing, right? Or even 7 nothing. You will have people, seven nothing, but it's like end of the first quarter, right? So Dallas gets shut out early on. It is, here we go again. It is, oh my God, I can't believe we're going to lose again in the playoffs. I can't believe we're going to lose to the Packers again. Um, fire Mike McCarthy. All of a sudden, everybody gets tight, including Dak Prescott. So I, I think he matters in terms of the Packers winning this game because if Dak's good, I think it's going to be really hard. I think if Dak's bad, they have not even just a shot, they have a good chance to win this one. Uh, number, let's see here, number five, or number six, excuse me, Aaron Jones. Uh, Aaron Jones is up for a challenge. Dallas's run defense is really good, kind of underrated. Uh, they talk about the pass rush. They talk about you know the, the playmaking ability of their secondary. They don't talk a lot about how good this rush de- defense is. If you look at like Dallas's losses, like you just do that exercise and you look at the Eagles game they lost, the Niners game they lost, uh, and the Buffalo Bills game they lost, they there wasn't a ton on the ground except for that James Cook game. So James Cook was the only guy that really got it going. He rushed for 25, 25 for 179, uh, 7.2 average, and he also caught two passes out of the backfield. Now... If I put James Cook, DeAndre Swift, and Christian McCaffrey together, it, it's it's hard to really like make a quote unquote comparison to any of those guys. Um, the Cowboys are really good when Jonathan Hankins is in the game, and Jonathan Hankins is playing in this one, so I I, I do think that that is going to help the Dallas rush defense. Um, but I think Aaron Jones can get loose. Again, the fast track really helps Aaron Jones. I think he's a guy that can stretch the field. We saw a lot of stretch runs in the game against Dallas or um, Chicago, excuse me. I think you'll see more of that. I, I think they're going to bring back some of the screen stuff with Jones. Hasn't really been that successful. But I think with the way Dallas rushes the quarterback, I think screens are going to be imperative. I think studying what Buffalo did against this Dallas defense with James Cook, I think that is something you apply and you lean on in terms of the film to say, all right, what can we replicate there? Because they were one of the only ones that have been able to run the ball against Dallas. So that's what I would key on. I I don't doubt Aaron Jones in this game. I'll tell you that straight up. I have no doubt in my mind that Aaron Jones can't have a great game because to me, he's the Packer at this point, right? Like he is our Leroy Butler. He is... He is our Donald Driver. 
uh, and I, I think he'll he'll step up. And I don't necessarily think Aaron Jones has had a playoff moment. And part of the reason for that, and not to get into this discourse, but part of that is because Aaron Rodgers hasn't let him. And we haven't seen that from Aaron Jones. And this could be one for him. I didn't put him as high because I, I still think love is important. The guys I mentioned, I think, are still more important. But would it surprise you if we're talking on Monday about Aaron Jones and that he rushed again for 100 yards and that he's just having this unbelievable finish to the season and the Packers now advance to face the San Francisco 49ers in what would be a true David versus Goliath matchup? Yeah, no, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, moving on to number seven is Darnell Savage. So I mentioned Darnell Savage last week, and as it's been kind of pointed out, kind of discussed on the Packer Twitter world, Darnell Savage is not having a bad year. Um, he's been consistent. Um, the middle of the field is not as open as it's been in the past. And I think with the talent that the, the Cowboys have at receiver and what they do across the middle, I think it's really important that Savage you know, shuts that down as much as he can. And the tight end, Jake Ferguson has been great. You might know he's Barry Alvarez's grandson. Um, you'll hear that on the broadcast a couple times. Uh, Savage needs to keep that in check and he needs to make sure that, you know, nothing is sort of getting by them. And Savage and Owens have been a solid com- combination at safety. I think they've finally sort of found, you know, their co- the right group of guys. And Savage is playing well. And I, I hope that that continues. I hope that that is something that we discuss. Not necessarily making plays, but he's just doing all the right things. And that's that's what you need in that safety position that has been such a sore spot for Green Bay. Uh, number eight is Rashawn Gary. Uh, one of the things I did also pay attention to when I kind of looked at the box scores of the games the Cowboys lost, every one of them has QB hits. And they are getting to Dak Prescott. And the Bills are the only ones. Bills are the outlier, man. Bills are the only ones where there's not a lot of sack numbers. Um, but Rashawn Gary being a monster against that Cowboys front line is going to be important. I think the speed of Rashawn Gary and Luke Van Ness, I know we're mentioning Gary, but I think those guys are going to really excel on that fast track. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys offensive line is certainly not as vaunted as it's been in the past. Um, it's not, you know, at that level. So they they do have an ability to get to Prescott. And the pass rush has been good the last two weeks. Um, I I really, I really hope that, you know, there there is a sort of, it's, it, it all just sort of continues, right? It, that's the fear is that it suddenly just stops and suddenly it's not what we saw the last two weeks. And it's a totally different thing because it's Dallas. But I, I do think that Rashawn Gary can have a big-ass game. And I think, you know, this Dallas offensive line is, again, not, not what it used to be. Uh, number nine is Tucker Craft. You could certainly rotate Luke Musgrave in here. But Dallas has struggled in the middle of the field this year. Um, Pete Bukowski had this. They're 24th in, I think it's EPA or DVOA. Either one of the favorite advanced metrics against middle-of-the-field passing. Jordan Love has owned the middle of the field. That has been something that Jordan Love has been doing a lot of. Guess who that falls into? You're, you got it, Tucker Craft. Guess who had three touchdowns against them in the game against San Francisco? That was George Kittle, six catch, three catches, 67 yards. I bet you best believe they're gonna look at what Kittle did against that against the Cowboys defense and that there will be plays drawn up, drawn up for Kraft, 
Fort Musgrave. I think those guys could have massive games. They might, they maybe should be higher, just given the middle of the field stuff. But I, I could see a big, big day from the Packers tight ends. And it would not surprise me. I know I was talking about it last week, but it would not surprise me they unleashed the the twelve personnel and let both guys go out for passes. I think that would be, you know, a dream come true. And I think we would all really enjoy it. As a, I won't repeat what I said last week. I, I'll, I'll keep that one. If you if you know, you know. Number 10, or yeah, there's a 10. Um, yeah, Christian Watson. I'm going to have a bonus 11 in case, in case Christian Watson doesn't play. Christian Watson being in this game would take the top off this Packers offense. The Packers offense is already looking good. They have so much, so many weapons that they can go to. And now you add Christian Watson deep ball in a fast track stadium. Who's, who's competing with that? I realize he has a gin, he's a hamstring, so you might want to be a little careful with that. But if you know that this guy can fly, you send him at least on one or two deep balls. And you che- you test those Dallas receivers. Watson had an incredible game against Dallas last season. That was his breakout game. And not a lot has changed that Dallas secondary besides, you know, uh, Diggs not being there. Now, Stephon Gilmore is a wily vet, but I will tell you right now, I know Stephon Gilmore cannot keep stride for stride with Christian Watson. And I just think if you have him, that just makes this team even more explosive. I'll just give a kind of honorable mention slash 11 to Jaden Reed. It's the same middle of the field discussion uh, that we just had. Other honorable mentions, I think Josh Myers is big. I think Kenny Clark's important. Kerrigan Valentine on the other side of Jair, I think matters a lot. Andrews Carlson, dude, like that's that could be such an advantage for Dallas with Brandon Arbery. Now he finally missed his first field goal uh, last week. So I, I'll be curious to see like how that affects him. Again, the playoffs is a little different. Same with Carlson. So um, definitely something to watch in terms of the special teams. But I, as I said to you guys on, I think it was Tuesday, I cannot, cannot wait for this and very excited to get it going later this week. Uh, before we talk about Marquette, as I try to procrastinate slash avoid it, uh, I wanted to talk really quickly about the Chicago Bears hire as well, or Chicago is not doing anything, and then Seattle getting rid of Pete Carroll. Uh, because they both affect the Packers, in my opinion. Obviously, with the Bears, uh, their arrival, the Bears get rid of Luke Getze, they clean house on the offense, they keep Matt Eberflus, and as... Mark Silverman said of Waddle and Sylvie, uh, which is a solid uh, radio program if you need like the Chicago listening to soothe your ears, uh, said, you know, it's half-ass. It's what the Bears do. They never go full-ass. They never go all in on their decision. They go around the fringes. And that's absolutely true. And there's not, there's not a lot of wrong in that. Um, and I, I just, it's kind of mesmerizing that they decided to do this. Like, you're going to draft a court. Is it is that a sign that you're not going to draft a quarterback and that you're actually going to roll with Justin Fields? But as Courtney Cronin pointed out of ESPN, this will be Justin Fields' third offensive system in four years. So if you're going to get an actually good offensive coordinator, for example, they're interviewing Shane Waldron of, coincidentally, Seattle Seahawks. If you tell Shane Waldron, hey, I'm signing an extension, I'm going to be here for three years, like we're going to work together and you're going to figure this out and this is all going to work for the better, then that's that's a different discussion. I do think the fact that it's in Chicago is an advantage. I think coaches want to coach there. 
Um, I think the Bears tradition, granted it's not been much recently, I still think matters. Uh, but I, I don't. I just don't get the idea of keeping the Eberflus when you're getting rid of everything else. Like, why not just start completely new? Maybe the Bears think they're close and think that they want to keep you know some semblance of it together because they believe they're a playoff team next year, which we've heard what last two years. But I, but I think it's getting a little more serious than we can just shrug it off. And if they get Caleb Williams, you know, would they then be even more of a playoff team? Um, we'll, we'll certainly have to see. We have a long way to go in terms of the Bears' decision-making. Uh, that is That thing is far, far from done. Uh, as for Seattle, Pete Carroll steps down. Um, I, I'm not surprised. And it's not because it is not a slight of Pete Carroll. He's just, he's getting up there in age. I think it's harder to deal with people as they get older um, and they get stuck in their ways. And John Schneider is a pretty smart guy. Uh, comes from the Ted Thompson tree. And I, and because he does come from a Ted Thompson tree, he knows when to let those guys go, right? That is a Ted Thompson staple. You don't sign guys who you think have little left in a tank or and he barely gave out any three year, three contracts while, he, while being the GM of the Packers. So I think John Schneider realizes that they're close they have a pretty they have a pretty good defense when healthy. They've drafted a lot of guy young guys for that defense. They have a talented young wide receiver core in uh, Jackson Smith and Jibba and DK Metcalf. Lockett's getting up there in years, but still a productive player. Uh, they have a two headed running back combination of Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet, a little power versus lightning. They need to fix their offensive line. They need to fix the tight end position. But they could get a quarterback and hold on to Geno Smith. I was going to look at his contract to see if it was a significant one. or if, I mean, I know it was three years, $75 million, but usually there's a kind of bailout cause and you want to bail that out. Um, and do they go, do they keep with Geno? Or do they see, all right, last two years we were nine and eight. Geno can only really take us to nine and eight. And that's it. And he can't take us any further than that. So we need to look elsewhere. It would be looking at Kirk Cousins. Would it be trying to trade for Justin Fields? Would you even use a stopgap or Ryan Tannehill? Um, what you know? What move could you make to sort of get yourself in a better position when you draft a quarterback? And that's what I think Schneider sort of sees. I think Schneider believes this is a great quarterback draft. He's not wrong. I think there's going to be seven quarterbacks drafted in the first two rounds. I. I don't know what the odds will be for quarterbacks drafted in the first round, but I say take whatever you can as the highest. I think it's going to be absolutely wild. I could see them going after a J.J. McCarthy, um, and I, I think that would be super smart. That'd be very Schneider-esque, right? Let J.J. McCarthy sort of marinate for a year, two years. It'd be interesting to see if they follow the Jordan Love plan, right? And then they unleash J.J. a couple of years later. Uh, I think that they're too far along with Penix. I don't think they would do Penix. I think they'll like, have a lot of heat to draft Penix, uh, given the Seattle and Washington connection. Uh, and then Bo Nix, I think, is another guy that you could think about. But I would imagine they want to get a, not necessarily a project, but a guy that just needs a little more seasoning. And to me, that's J.J. McCarthy. You could also, if you're really fond of like a Jordan Travis, now had a bad, bad knee injury, you could draft Jordan Travis in the third or fourth round and sort of sit on that asset for a year and while you draft some other things. 
I think Shiner knows exactly what the hell he's doing, which is scary, and that always is scary. I'm more scared of what Seattle decided to do than the Bears decided to do, if that makes any sense. All right, let's stop avoiding the inevitable and talk about Marquette. Uh, Marquette loses 69 to 62. That was absolutely brutal uh, for the Golden Eagles. Uh, one of the worst losses that I can remember, probably the worst home loss since they lost to DePaul under Steve Wojciechowski, but this was an absolutely ugly game. Marquette was projected to win by 11 points per Ken Palm, and then they lose outright by seven. Some jarring numbers in this one. In the first 10 minutes of the second half, Marquette scored a grand total of seven points. They were outscored 24 to seven in that time period, uh, which was really the game. Um, then you also had Marquette shooting five of 31 from three. They only got to the free throw line 11 times. They didn't get a decent amount of offensive rebounds, which is nice, but it it was a mess. And then we were talking about, I've seen the few things on Marquette Twitter about how, you know, this the team is stagnant, the ball's sticking too much. They only have 13 assists. And most of that's from Tyler Kolick and also Yadar. No assists from Mitchell, Joplin, or Cam Jones. Uh, Cam Jones also shot the ball 22 times. He had 22 points, but he was 9 of 22 from the field. Kolick was 1 of 13 from the field. Stevie Mitchell was, Stevie Mitchell had the best game of anybody, uh, but it, it's just, it, it's all alarming and it sends off major red flags because this Marquette team has looked out of sorts, you know, in the last month, month and a half, right? St. Thomas game, you, you were like, oh, it's exams, but then it's, now you look back on it and you're like, was it? The first half of the Creighton game was a disaster. They were lucky to keep themselves in that game. They did. They found, they kind of pulled it out of them. And part of it was because of Sean Jones, who now has a knee injury and it looks pretty bad. And you were able to sort of pull that game out. Then you had Georgetown where you looked like all systems go. Everything made sense. You're just absolutely buried. Providence, you weren't even really in that fight. You just kind of gave in early on. The officiating didn't help, but they just basically kind of laid their sword early and often. And then Seton Hall, you're in that game, Chase Ross gets hurt, and then everybody sort of just crumbles. Is Chase Ross the glue and not Stevie Mitchell? I don't know. Um, but I do think that more cuts having a it's it's I, I have no source on this. I just I'm looking at it from afar. And I'm looking at a team that, to me, does not necessarily have that edge anymore. And that's normal, right? We see this in music all the time. I, the example I love to use is Mumford & Sons. Listen to the first Mumford & Sons album, right? It's gritty. It's tough. It's, it, you feel it, right? You maybe even cry because you're just, you think about, you know, that girlfriend that left you or that girl that, you know, doesn't want to talk to you. Not that this is anything personal from my my college years, uh, but then you listen to the next Mumford album, it gets a little less grittier. And then you listen to that next album and it gets even, even like gritty less, and it all just becomes commercial. Marquette's kind of lost their grit. I mean, not kind of, fuck that. They've lost their grit. They are not a gritty basketball team right now. They are a team that comes into the gym and expects to win. 
And that has to fucking change. They can't just come in here every night and think, we are Marquette and we are going to win this basketball game. The Big East is too fucking good to do that every night out. And if you do, you're going to get your ass kicked like you did in the second half. Marquette should have blown this fucking team out of the water. This is a... It's just... It's like you want to be frustrated at sort of the vibes and the mentality, but then also acknowledge the fact that they had a lot of good open looks. They had a lot of shots that just did not fall. And sometimes that happens in basketball. And I can understand that the body language can kind of deteriorate when no shots are falling and that you're you're frustrated and that you're just, you're in a complete and utter funk. So can Marquette be fixed? I think so. I, I Look, I, I think it's going to be a big challenge because now Trey Norman, Zade Lowry are going to be relied on. Tyler Kolick will be leaned on even more. Um, you might need to think about how you run the point a little differently. Do you run Cam Jones at the point? That was not exactly successful last year, but maybe you have to do it. Do you run Oso Iguodara at the point? And do you have him sort of almost like a Giannis level of just kind of guiding traffic and doing that. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of consequences coming from that Sean Jones injury. I think what's important right now is air out grievances, figure out what's wrong, what's ailing guys, what's, what, is, what are the fundamental problems right now within the Marquette organization and try to solve them, try to come to resolutions and just sort of use this as a turning point and say, all right, from now on, like we can't just, we can't just assume we're gonna win. And we can't just walk into the gym, as I mentioned earlier. And can that be fixed? I, I don't know. I think the fact that you're at home, the fact you have a long break, and it, that should be a win. And that's a bad sign for Villanova, that they're coming into that hornet's nest because that's what it should be. Now, it is Martin Luther King Day. I don't expect the crowd to be as raucous as maybe what we you'd see on a Saturday afternoon, but still, you gotta be, you gotta bring it. And Villanova plays into your strengths. They give up a ton of threes. That works with what Marquette wants to do. I realize it did not work out well in this game. And that, that should benefit the Golden Eagles. The Golden Eagles should see you know, the the things to start falling. Now, Marquette, you know, lives off turnovers and Villanova doesn't necessarily do that. Um, Villanova also shoots a lot of threes and Marquette gives up a lot of threes. So this could just be the first over we've had in Marquette uh, games for a while. Uh, Marquette unders have been sneaky, sneaky good. But yeah, and Villanova's having their own issues, right? Like they have, they have started to struggle a little bit. And Eric Dixon's a bitch to deal with, you know, for for the Golden Eagles, but I think you just really need to come together and figure out what's ailing this team. And also try to figure out what's going on with Tyler Kulik. Is it mental health? Is it a relationship? Do, are, is there a fissure between him and Shaka Smart? Is it all of the above? Is it a little bit of you know everything from the soup? Is it that he's tired of being heckled on the, on the road like he's JJ Raddick? Like, what is it? And I think doing that sort of exercise with everybody and getting everybody smiling and laughing again 
and playing Marquette basketball. This has not been Marquette basketball for the last two games. It, ha- it has been a shell of what we sort of come to expect as Marquette fans. The Creighton win was excellent because they won it with defense. They did it in the second half, but maybe it should have been a little bit of a red flag that it was the bench guy doing it, not the other guys. And that trouble was looming ahead uh, because it did. And now it's up to Marquette and their you know youth movement to kind of get expedited. You know, and I think the biggest thing for Trey Norman and Zade Lowry is not to play scared. I think that we you see it kind of often with LeBron James, weirdly enough. Um, but follow me. This is this is gonna land. LeBron, when he plays with certain guys, uh, he he just they they're nervous. They're nervous to play with LeBron. And they force shit and they don't score and they just play hot potato. Uh, Lowry and Norman are coming into a very, uh, what we think is a well-connected unit and it's brand new for them. And they, they don't want to like, you know, pass, they get, they got to pass it up. They, they can't necessarily shoot. Like they need to take the reins of their freshman year. It's a very big moment for both of them. I am not quitting on Marquette. I'm not putting them in the dung club. They're two and three in the big East. It, there is a long way to go. No one's winning in college basketball. It's funny. I was going to pop on here when, and do the grades and everything. I just felt like we needed a longer because no one did well tonight. Zade Lauer is only A. Everybody else, it's a D or an F. Um, so there you have it. But I was going to pop on if they won and say, like, look, it's, it's fucking crazy right now. Everybody's losing. You know, all top five teams have lost this week already. It's an absolute massacre out there. Because, and I, I think there's a lot of reasons for this. I think number one, it's the home crowds are, are amped up. They're crazy. They're having fun. I think number two, it's the fact that some of these teams don't play enough tough opponents. Like look at Oklahoma today. Oklahoma was a five-point dog as, a, as number 14 in the country. And that's what said red flags for some people. But you look at Oklahoma's strength of schedule, it's fucking terrible. They've played one of the softest schedules in America. And then you add it to the fact that they haven't played on the road in an official road game, then that makes it even worse for them. So I, I, I and yeah, then they lost by nine. So I, I just think that we're weeding out some of it. And I, I think at, at some point we'll get to a good level, but I do think that part of it is, is due to the like non-conference sort of thing and, and everything like that. Food for thought. And you can take it, you can leave it, whatever you want to do. UConn was four and five at one point in the Big East season last year. UConn was actually eight and seven at one point last year. They got hot in late February. They didn't carry it all the way because they got beat by Marquette in a absolute classic and then won the national championship. And from January 25th on, they only lost three games and basically won, won the rest of them. And to me, which if you're doing the math at home there, that they went 12 and two, or three, excuse me, uh, because you have the Marquette one. So 15 games, they, they won 12 of their last 15 games. That can have a Marquette. And Marquette can kind of find it. It's gonna be a much tougher season than I think any of us wanted it to be. But who's to say that Marquette can't sort of rise from the ashes. And they have the talent 
They just need it to kind of step up. And they need it. They need people to revert back to what they were in 2023 and find that grit again. All right, let's wrap up today's show. We're going to do some college football. We haven't done college football in a long time. Uh, I Again, for the new listeners, uh, I have sort of scaled back what I do for the Wisconsin Badgers from a college basketball perspective. I don't talk about them with basketball. I'm not a fan. So if I was, you know, if we were doing a full Wisconsin sports, you know, show, I have to talk about the Badger basketball, but I don't have to. So I don't. Uh, Sorry if that offends. But we are talking about Badger football and college football itself with Nick Saban retiring. Uh, I'm sure you saw the news that Nick Saban is no longer the coach of Alabama. He is now, you know, going to hang out with Miss Terry uh, and eat some oatmeal cream pies and drink some Diet Cokes. And that's what he's going to do. As someone pointed out, uh, he had Cokes and cream pies on his statue outside of Bryant-Denny Stadium. And someone pointed out that is exactly how Rick Pitino's career ended, uh, which I I loved. Could not love anymore. Uh, That was perfect. No notes. so with the Saban retirement, I, I, I want to talk about it from the lens of Wisconsin and then kind of just final thoughts on it. So Wisconsin is playing Alabama uh, in middle of April or middle of September. Excuse me. I don't know where April came from. Middle of September. And it's a big time matchup. It's going to be one of the premier non-conference games in college football next season. Uh, I've seen Wisconsin on early top 25s right around you know the low 20 you know 20 to 21 Alabama obviously near the top so the Badgers are going to welcome a top team into Camp Randall that's in the non-conference which I'm sure has not happened for a very long time and there will be a ton of pop and circumstance about this game I don't know if game day will be there I would imagine if both teams are successful they will um, and Alabama will have a brand new coach and I can't help but think that that takes the wind out of that sail. There is something cool about trying to master Nick Saban. Just like there's something cool about trying to master Bill Belichick. Those guys are legends in their game. And so to watch you know, how they prepare, how they get them, themselves ready, how you know, they play on defense as well as offense. And that just is lost from this game. This game won't have that. And that to me is a bummer. Like that definitely, it's not going to make me not watch. I'm not going to be like, oh, because Dan Lanning, which shout out to my guy, Seth, who's an Oregon fan, is very scared Dan Lanning's going to go to Alabama. So, but if it's Dan Lanning on the other side, uh, other side of Luke Fickle, I'm not going to be like, well, no Nick Saban, I'm not watching. It's more about just like the pageantry of college football and seeing Alabama go on the road in a non-conference against a good opponent. Now that that's the that's the key, right? A good opponent, and so it just does not have that same juice without saving. And I think we're going to say that about a lot of things. I think we'll say that about you know other certain matchups where it would be you know having Nick there would would matter. Um, and I know you're like, well, Charlie, he's just a coach, dude. He's not just a coach. All right, he is the best coach in college football. He is one of the best coaches of all time. You may not like him. You may think he's a prick, but the guy fucking wins. And he has his system and it's either you like it or you don't. And I just, I like, I revere, I kind of, you know, gone, 
the other direction with him. I used to be annoyed by Saban a long time for a while. Um, and now as I've gotten older and sort of understood what he's trying to teach young men, I've sort of respected it. And I've kind of, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't go as far as say I revere Nick Saban, but I, I think he's a great, great coach. And now you have another old guy leaving. You had, you know, Nick Saban's out. You, college basketball's seen it a lot more with, Jim Beheim with Jim Cal- not Jim Calhoun, uh, Jay Wright, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, obviously. And you know, now you've seen it in college football. And you've seen other guys in college football just not necessarily come back that have just sort of said, no, nah, I'm done. I don't really want to do, I don't really want to deal with the sort of influence of the transfer portal. Now, do I think Nick Saban will be mentioned in every big ticket college football rumor for maybe two years, yeah. I, and he'll have to be like, I'm not interested. And I, I do wonder, would he get would he get that itch? Probably not, um, but you just never know, right? You just never know, you know, would, if guys just decide, nah, fuck it, I'm, I'm not gonna be there. Uh, as pointed out about all the different coaches that are no longer, you know, in terms of college football, uh, you don't have, uh, there's not a lot. Chris Peterson's really the only one. Some guys like childhood's over because of all these coaches. I looked at him and I'm like, yeah, you know what? Chris Peterson's the only one that sort of, sort of has the, the like, in terms of like he could still be coaching. Other than that, the other guys are, are not necessarily there. Uh, but it's a, it's a new era of football and it's a new era of Alabama. And I, I do agree with some of the sentiment of, why would you go to Alabama? You're basically inviting all this pressure. It's, you know, it, it was not successful before Nick Saban got there, right? They had the Mike Price scandal. They had the Dennis Franconi era. They had the, uh, what was his name? Mike Shula. Uh, they were really, they were kind of bad. Like, I, I think that's, people like forget that. They might memory hole it. That Alabama was a f- fucking clusterfuck after Gene Stallings left. And they just really struggled. And it, it, and then Saban, you know, picked it up, came in from the Dolphins and rose it from the ashes and built it into this powerhouse that it is today. And it'll be really hard to compete with said powerhouse. And uh, am I crazy to wonder if they're giving it to Tommy Reese? Now, that would be all time because Tommy Reese is like 33. He's like my age. Being the Alabama head coach would be fucking wild. But it would fit the Krzyzewski model of giving your assistant the job and making your assistant the head coach. And then you can kind of control the messaging. You can protect him. You can help him through. Now, Dan Lanning, again, as mentioned, was already there. Um, I think they're going to look at far and wide. They can choose whoever they want. And a lot of coaches will say, but it was Alabama. It's Alabama. You know, kind of the Tom Crean's Indiana. Like, you just go there. So very fascinating to see what this happens. Um, I think I've said this before, but I'm a slut for the coaching carousel. Um, so definitely excited to see, A, what this does. Because now this starts to change reaction. It starts another reaction of coaches leaving. So if, say Lanning takes the job at Alabama. Well, now Oregon needs to hire a coach. Oregon's going into the Big Ten. Oregon has a really good NIL war chest, you know, and would they go back to the well? Would they hire, you know, some sort, I'm trying to think who, who would be the guy 
that they would look at from like a coordinator perspective, you know, because they Lanning was the coordinator for Georgia. I'm trying to think who they would go with. That'd be interesting. Uh, would they maybe look at Sharon Moore, maybe Jesse Minter? Jesse Minter to me would be an excellent choice for Oregon. If Jesse, you know, and I know he's going to look at for NFL, but to me, like a Jesse Minter type would be excellent. Maybe I think Tommy Reese is too young. I'm trying to think of other guys. Uh, not Katowski from uh, Texas, the defensive guy. I don't, I've never really heard him mention Ryan Groove, maybe in Washington. That'd be wild taking Washington's offensive coordinator. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it, it, was, it will start a chain reaction. And then all of a sudden, it's like, here we go again. Um, so we'll, we'll certainly have to see. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it unfortunately does not make that match. The matchup still matters, but it just loses a tinge of the luster. It just loses a tinge of the luster of the opportunity to potentially beat Nick Saban is no longer there. He'd still potentially beat Alabama. But it's, it's Alabama without Nick Saban. And unfortunately for Wisconsin, that's going to be used as an excuse. Everyone's going to be like, well, you played like Dan Lanning's you know, third week on the job. Like, congratulations. And it's not like, oh, you beat Nick's team. You beat Dan Lanning's team. I, I'm telling you, it's, there's a difference, Gus. Um, so let me know what you think. You can tell me that on X. You can tell me that on Instagram. Tabby the Keg on the first one. Tabby the Keg Sports on the other one. That does it for today's show. We will be back tomorrow with Mitch, as mentioned, reacting after Bucks Celtics. Hopefully, it's not too bad. Uh, we'll also talk about what else are we talking about? We're going to do some more Packer Cowboys. We're going to get into some more of the nitty gritty. And we're also going to do Wisconsin sports pipe dreams. I'll explain what I mean uh, with that segment uh, for next week uh, we had a lot of fun with the ins and outs so kind of doing kind of doing the same similar structure last week uh but hopefully with a better books result all right guys i will be back on monday we'll have a packer recap well, solo wise i'll be back monday packer recap uh the whole thing we'll also talk about bucks warriors i think that bucks actually have a back-to-back they have a crazy schedule so they play the sacramento kings so we'll have a lot of bucks to talk about as well um and yeah we'll we'll figure out what else we we want to discuss all right Take care of yourself. Have a great Thursday and we'll see you tomorrow. All right, see you. Bye.